0: I invite you to sit for a spell as I interview guests and spill the spiritual tea on how we can create the magical life we deserve. Hello, hello, hello. How are we feeling coming off of that sex goddess summer series? Whew. That was, that was quite a journey. That was quite a journey. So yes, I would love to hear how it panned out for you. Definitely send me an email, tia at tmariejohnson.com, or send me a DM on Instagram if we are already connected there. Let me know. So I wanted to shift gears and get a little bit into the history of witches, and in particular, certain people, not just an event. For example, when I talked about uh, Lupercalia or Santanilla, so I wanted to just focus on a few individuals who have been and continue to be famous, infamous, and influential. Right now, I have, uh, I don't know, you probably can't hear it, but I have my cauldron going, Incense burning from uh, the Glamour Witch. I love it. It smells divine. I made myself a cup of Nespresso and my Starbucks mud that I got when I was in Strasbourg, France. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty damn good. All right, let's get into it. I Oh, wait. Oh, before I get into that, I'm glad I have my notes here. See, sometimes I get excited and I just go right for the content. If we are not connected on Instagram, let's make some magic happen and get connected. Okay, so I am at cosmic underscore witch underscore goddess. That's the main one. And the podcast Instagram page is enchantress underscore society underscore podcast. Those are my only two Instagrams. All right. So the famous, the infamous, and the influential. This is based off of a book I purchased many years ago. And this is by Jukia. Uh, I hope I pronounced her name. I meant to look this up beforehand and I did not think about it but that's okay we are here so Jukia Jukia Illis. if I mispronounced it please let me know email me I will not take offense and this is the Weisler's Phil guide to witches from hexes to Hermione Granger from Salem to Land of Oz and I love the cover it's really cool it's a witch in her broom and she's passing a toll all right so One of the chapters is actually called The Cavalcade of Witches, the Famous, the Infamous, and the Influential. So I just took that famous, infamous, and influential part. And there's another chapter uh, later on called Hunting Witches. So I'm pulling uh, uh, the people who I'm going to talk about from those two chapters. And there's a little uh, additional chapter I want to discuss at the end. So let's get into it. This is going to be a little bit of a read-along. (laughs) <laughs> I have to laugh at myself because I'm imagining my South Philadelphian sounding voice reading uh, to adults. So um, bless you for bearing with me through this. And uh, so let's begin. So the first person I want to discuss here is Lori Cabot, High Priestess or Cabot, if you don't pronounce the T. A uh, high priestess, author, educator, civil rights activist, and founder of the Cabo tradition, tradition of witchcraft. Uh, Lori was born on March 6, 1933. Wow, just a few years before my grandmother. And she is a pioneer among witches. She was among the first to practice witchcraft openly in 1971. She opened the very first witch store in Salem, Massachusetts in 1977. The governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis, uh, named Lori the official witch of Salem. That's pretty cool. And she ran for mayor in Salem in 1987. Wow. I was only two years old. This is so cool. Although she eventually dropped out of the race, citing other professional commitments, she is the founder of Witches League for Public Awareness, WLPA, and Project Witches Protection, PWP. Watchdog organizations that prevent discrimination against witches and combat misconceptions and stereotypes. Her publications include The Power of Witch, Love Magic, The Witch in Every Woman, and Celebrate the Earth. I love this. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this episode is because I wanted to provide some modern day uh, examples, stories people who have made an impact in the witch community, the spiritual community, uh, just even in history, where we can learn from them and self so work because our stories matter. People need to hear it. And also the stories we hear are his story. I remember when my pop-pop first told me that history is his story and it is the story of the victor so what about her story what about the stories of the people who weren't the victor because the victor was the one who cheated okay so yeah they won but it's like when you bring a gun to the knife fight and both of you agree to bring a knife right so you had to uh, you know be like a neo in matrix you know something like that or just be really able to outsmart your opponent so i want you to think about this too because being a witch and i know i say en- enchantress it's basically the same thing enchantress uh has by definition a more sexy uh undertone and which of course as we know has been demonized over the years so that's usually associated with an older woman who's haggardy but we are reclaiming that word i like using enchantress because when i was meditating that's what came up and i just like it as magical as sexy all right so anyway being a witch being an enchantress uh diving into your goddess energy all all of that tarot reiki whatever you want to do but in, in particular with archetypes regarding feminine energy It's always political, okay? It is always a hop, skip, and a jump from someone saying something that can really leave a negative impact on your life for a while, not just short-term, as we know with some of the Salem witch trials, right? Uh, Long-term impacts and impacts of other people who have done horrendous uh, crimes against humanity. Okay. But also, the people, the good ones here, there are some people that's like, uh, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. But the people, uh, some of the people I mentioned here, they have good intentions. Okay. And you will see that on this path, it requires so much of you, and you don't know what all that much is. And actually, if we knew, we probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> like one of my guests said, um, um, uh, the, the owner and founder of Pretty Girl Makeup, uh, Christina Flag, she just said, and uh, it's, you can scroll back, it's a few episodes back. She said that if she had known all of what was involved to get to where she's at now, she probably would not be on that, would not have partaken in that path in the beginning. And also, you'll see that some people are average people who answered the call. You don't need to be a special person. You don't need to be royalty, even though some royalty will be mentioned. You just got to be you and take these steps. And you never know what you may create. All right. So that is Miss Laurie High Priestess and uh. Was it Official Witch of Salem? Let's move right along. And this incense smells so good. I should do more read-alongs with incense. I'm loving the aroma. I just added a few drops of uh, Millionaires from the honey jar. And uh, what is this also? uh, Was it the Coven Drops? (sighs) All right, moving right along. Bridget Bishop the first person to be hanged as a witch during the Selim witch trials. Bridget Bishop was born in England between 1932 and 1937. At the age of approximately 20, Bridget moved to Selim with her first husband and she was arrested on charges of witchcraft. So she moved there with her husband on April 18, 1692. During her two-day trial, wow, two days, she consistently denied all charges, protesting her innocence literally up until her last breath. She had admitted guilt, excuse me, had she admitted guilt, she would only have been imprisoned and her life would have been spared. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And their prisons were, okay, filled with bed bugs and rats and stuff. Crazy. This is, okay. Okay. It is now generally, I can't these brackets, generally acknowledged that most, if not all, of those selling witches were not really witches. Bridget Bishop may have been an exception. Some modern scholars believe that if not actually a witch, she was well versed in traditional English folk magic. It is likely that many Puritans sincerely believed her to be a witch, okay, as the rumors have spread about her for years. Bridget was a temptuous, sharp-tongued, unconventional, flamboyant, and independent woman living in a rigid, fundamentalistic society. She sounds like a dark feminine goddess who is trying to navigate through a purity culture. Yikes. Right. I know that was tough. She was not submissive or obedient. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> The dark feminine is the opposite of that. Of course, she was not submissive or ob- obedient. Right. Because we know what those really mean. That's not about, you know, listening and, uh, being able to dive in your femininity and let someone else take charge it's about dominance power control and i'm not talking about dominance and a mutual respect you know with the, the snm no this is you're beneath me okay she okay yeah so she was not obedient okay bridget married three times Her first two husbands died. She fought publicly with her husband's behavior that Puritans scorned and detest. In 1666, she married Thomas Oliver, a prominent local businessman. After one particularly violent fight, Bridget and Thomas were gagged, bound back to back, and forced to stand in the town square. After his death in 1679, Thomas's children from an earlier marriage accused Bridget of bewitching him. Although this may have been a plan to obtain property, I think it was. I don't think there were any doubts there. (laughs) Bridget was brought to trial, but was acquitted for lack of evidence. Her third husband, Edward Bishop, helped find the Beverly Church, of which Bridget remained a member in good standing until her death. Bridget entertained guests in her home late at night one or more taverns were associated with the Bishop family although it is now clear excuse me now unclear whether Bridget or her stepdaughter-in-law Sarah Bishop was the actual proprietress, Bridget served and drank hard cider and alcoholic beverage okay Bridget and played games like checkers and shovel board By Puritan standards, she dressed provocatively and is described as wearing a black cape, black hat, and a red paragon bodice bordered and looped with different colors. Oh, my. How scandalous. (laughs) Her mode of dress was used as evidence against her in 1692 trial. The fact that her business and land thrived while those of other local businesses did not was also considered evidence of witchcraft. Maybe they just weren't good owners. Several men, including her sister's husband, testified against Bridget, as did the young girls at the center of the Selim witch accusations. Poppets made from rags and pierced with hogs bristles were allegedly found hidden in a house she once owned. The puppets were not produced in court and there is no proof that they existed or were made by Bridget. However, these little dolls were considered incon What is that word? Incontrollable? Wow, this is the first time I'm seeing this word. It just wasn't considered as evidence against her. Let's leave it at that. Between not ever seen that word and the brackets on the back of my teeth I am not going to hurt your ears butchering that word (laughs) okay Bridget Bishop was executed on June 10th 1692 on her way to Gallows Hill a board spontaneously fell from a building as she passed further cementing her accusers convention that Bridget was a witch Bridget Bishop still haunts Salem. Her ghost has allegedly been witnessed at sites historically associated with her. She is also the subject of several trial reenactments and uh, productions. Because of the puppets, Bridget has become associated with the use of poppets and magic spells. Now, could Bridget have been a witch? Yeah. Could she have just been a woman who was business savvy? She just had that it factor, just had it going on. Yeah. Could she been both? Yeah. I like this story in particular, even though it has a sad ending, because notice how her family and strangers, the young girls, were ready to go against her. Notice how because she was thriving, especially as a woman, a voluptuous woman, it seems like people were jealous. Because when you think about it, no one's saying, oh, is there, and again, I don't have the publications from the time, but just going based on this story, and what I tend to know people do when they're not doing well, instead of looking within, instead of Looking like, oh man, is there, uh, you, I don't want to say play, but you know, is there something going on in the town? Is is my hard cider not good? You know, <laughs> something. But instead of looking at that, all the business owners want to go and attack Bridget because she's thriving, and they didn't even ask her. Right? If someone was thriving in their business, I would say, hey, here's five pence. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk. I, I don't know if, if they've been used Pence back then in England, it probably was called something else before Pence, but whatever. Uh, Sterling, pounds, whatever. You know, so let's, let's, let's get together. Let, let's talk, let's chat, right? No. Wait, I think Pence is the, cor- the change. Right? Ah. Uh. Now I don't remember. I'm not going to pause to look it up. It's been a while since I've been in England. Anyway, their legal tender. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I'm cracking myself up here. This is the first read along, so. All right. Um, I I am also saying this because the more you expand, the more you go from surviving to thriving, the more you start to be you, because we see how Bridget was still her, the society around her was crazy, but she was still her. Sometimes you're going to have to be in your own bubble until you can get out of that society, and unfortunately for her, it didn't work out that way. For you, it can work differently, okay? Your, your purity culture, your society, whatever it could be your job, right? You're the, the one that's different, and you need to go. It could be a, a relationship. It could be certain family, family members, whatever the case may be. What I'm saying is, you have to be willing to stick to your guns. And not all stories in bad, okay? We are in a different time now. And I understand, depending where you are, some people still can't be a witch in public. I get that. But what I'm saying is, because we could back it differ with Bridget, right? Is she a good entrepreneur? She just has that if factor. Okay, sashay and whatever. Or she could be a witch. You could just be a good person and people won't know about your spiritual practices. And they will still question how you do things. And if they did know about your spiritual practices, they may say, oh, well, yeah, she just did some, you know, Mad, whatever her little whatever black magic, or whatever you know, so, you know, tr- try to demean it. Okay, you're not going to win every battle, meaning you will be the villain in someone's story. I know I talked about that in previous episodes, so understand that, but go forth and do great things. Don't stop doing what you have been called to do because people can't deal with it. Okay. So it's a hard lesson to learn, but I wanted to bring it up because you see, even in these, well, yeah, it is ancient times, but times long ago, there will always be women, witches, etc., who just stick out. It is something about them, whatever it is, okay? And there's going to be people who disagree but you have to fulfill your purpose you have to keep going all right so let's go on to the next story and i'm going to take a sip of my espresso so next we have catherine de medici born in april 13 1519 Catherine, the Italian wife of French King Henry II, became regent of France after Henry's death, just as Nostradamus predicted she would. Catherine made no secret of her interest in magic and metaphysics. Many considered her a witch, although she was too powerful to ever be accused directly. Catherine allegedly practiced mirror divination and maybe the prototype for the evil queen mirror gla- gla- gazer in the fairy tale Snow White. Catherine introduced astrology to the French court and surrounded herself with astrologers, magicians, and seers, including Nostradamus and Italian astrom- ast- astrologers Cosimo Ruggieri and Luguri. Ruggieri, I am butchering these names please forgive me, (laughs) Catherine's personal astrologer made money on the side by crafting wax images that allegedly enabled those who bought them to seduce or kill a targeted person. Catherine died on January 5th, 1589. Now, for, for this story, I was just called to pick Catherine. It was something about it And that was actually my first time reading uh, the story in this. Actually, I'm sorry, no second time, because I read this book uh, many years ago. Um, And what I liked is that she has her spiritual counsel. And I talked about that in The Cosmic Goddess Mastermind, to have this spiritual counsel of people who want you to succeed no matter what. And they can provide different advice, uh, like having an astrologer, having a reader, a tarot reader, having uh, a business mentor, a spiritual mentor, things like that. Just these people that help give you a wide range view of who you are, influences, uh, important dates, and so forth, important astrological events and so forth. And it's interesting too, because she was untouchable, right? As a wife of a French king, she, she was a queen. She was really the HBIC. She was untouchable at this point. And this is where I would love to see you reach. A point where when people don't like what, what you do because they're jealous, they don't want you to make it, whatever, they can't tell you that directly. They, they can't throw cheap shots you, you aren't even on their radar. That's how far you frequency out of, <laughs> you know, where they're at. So let's, let's focus on getting to that point of that, that untouchableness. okay? Now, this doesn't mean unfortunate things won't happen in your life. What I'm saying is those people. You know what I'm talking about, <laughs> okay? We want to keep them at bay. And maybe practice mirror magic. And there's so many ways you can do that. You can even do divination through mirror uh, magic as she was doing by painting your mirror black. And there's a particular way to do it and you can look it up. Uh, Or you can do what I did many years ago. I had a deep conversation with myself looking in the mirror at myself, in my eyes. It was pretty intense. It, It was good. So just really, you know, spend some time to think about who you want to be surrounded by. And you notice how she wasn't even bothered about being public with it. So maybe you can be public with certain things to help you attract the people who you truly want to hang around. All right, moving right along. And I'm also regretting that I only took one semester of Italian. It is my dream and it has been my dream for, since I was a kid to, speak multiple languages. And I was on a path of doing that and it went to the wayside. I don't wanna to get too much into the story cause I wanna get back to the story time I'll talk about it one day. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been one of my, my passions. So it's very interesting reading uh, and, and trying to you know, just pronounce the words right and you know, figure it out, look at the root words, especially with uh, spirituality in general when you're working with herbs and uh, even the, the terminology of certain moves, moons, there are you know backstories to that, root words and things like that. And that will also help you to understand the craft even more. Okay, why is that name that? Uh, the, the root word for that goes back to this and this is why it's that. And by extension, it will help you in your day-to-day interactions with other people. Because once you start learning about uh, the background of even the common words, because that's what you will learn is you'll see the ancient ways and how it just transformed over the years, you will get even better at communicating. It's crazy how that happens. You understand more cultural things and you'll be more empathetic, more understanding and so forth. All right. So let me get back to the story (laughs) before I make this another lesson. All right. Here we go. Dr. John D. Queen Elizabeth I trusted Dr. John, her faithful astrologer and spiritual advisor, to choose her coronation date. He chose well. She ruled for 45 years Dr. D may also have served Queen Elizabeth as a spy and informer, revealing what others said about her. An alchemist, magician, and scholar, Dr. D was the author of 79 books, although most were published after his death. He was also a master at divination and spirit summoning, Dr. D was born in London on July 13th, 1527 of Welsh ancestry, uh, the son of a servant at King Henry VIII's court. By the time he entered Cambridge University at, at the age of 15 to study mathematics and science, he had already required a reputation as an occultist. This reputation caused some to view him as unsavory He was soon asked to withdraw from Cambridge. What first seemed to be bad luck turned out to be a golden opportunity. Dee transferred (laughs) to the University of Louvain in what is now Belgium, where he was able to meet people who had personally known one of his heroes, Agrippa. Dr. Dee originally worked for Elizabeth's predecessor, Queen Mary Tudor, also known as Bloody Mary, telling her fortune daily and casting her horoscope. In the process, he became friendly with her half-sister, Elizabeth, whom would serve until her death in 1603. Allegedly, Elizabeth asked D. to cast an astrological chart that would reveal the date and nature of Mary's death. Mary found out an outrage through Dr. D in jail and charged him of witchcraft. In prison between 1553 and 1555, D eventually managed to talk his way out of prison, convincing authorities of his innocence. Yet his acquittal on all charges and release from prison earned him an even stronger reputation as a sorcerer. Many saw his release not as proof of his innocence, but proof of his magical power, assuming that he had glamored his jailers into releasing him. These served Elizabeth at court until his presence became a liability. Her enemies suggested that the queen spent too much time in the company of a sorcerer D spent six years traveling in Central and Eastern Europe, including a brief stint in Prague at the court of Emperor Rudolf II, a great devotee of the mystic arts and sponsor of many alchemists. Dr. D longed to communicate with angels, but his attempts to contact them met only inconsistent success. D lacked the necessary shamanic skills for spirit communication, and so he searched for partners with greater ability. The most famous of these practitioners was alchemist Edward Kelly. Kelly spoke with angels and D recorded their conversations. Together, they founded the tradition of the Egonokian magic based on these angelic communications. Oh, that's interesting. That makes sense. Okay. Dr. D died on March 26, 1609, Prospero the Magician and Shakespeare's The is is believed to be based at least partially on Dr. D. According to author H.P. Lovecraft, Dr. D. is responsible for translating the grimoire, the necromancron, into English. Dr. D. makes an appearance in Alan Moore's comic book, series Promethea. Whew, quite the life. Interesting. What I wanted to bring up for this is, because I was just talking about words. The word occult, he was called an occultist. It gets treated like this, um, I don't want to say dirty word. It's it's like someone who's a little bit weird. They're they're like, they're into that, the dark arts. They're they're like, you know. Actually, it just means supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, phenomena. Okay? So it's just really to have an interest in the uh, supernatural. (laughs) all right and then you just go down the rabbit hole from there so supernatural that's it when you start just also knowing the the definition as opposed to that connotative the definition that's given by society just understanding it these are some of the words that we hear occult occultist and it's, it's like a, a household name in a way because when you hear it, you already had that preconceived idea of what it is and who that person is and what they're all about regarding that, right? But it's not accurate. So start questioning some of the words you hear get associated with people. In your life, it may be someone says, oh, you're too bossy. It's like, no. I'm not, I have ideas, I have a right to speak up, I prefer things a certain way, these are my standards and it's not asking for much. That's not being bossy. That's taking up space, speaking up. You don't have a problem when so-and-so does it, right? So what's the issue? And I talk about that in my first book, words that in particular women get called when they know what they want, they speak up, They're not taking people's shit, basically. And they get called overachiever, diva, you know, things like that. So start understanding these words. And I actually explain what the word diva actually means, okay? And it's fine if you want to joke with your friends and say, oh, I'm such a diva, you know. uh," That's cool. Is when someone tries to or uses that word and try to make you feel an adverse way about it, right? This is why... We need to get to this place where words won't impact us. Those negative words won't impact us in the way they want uh, us to be impacted, okay? So just just uh, just, you know, take the time to, uh, take your time to think about that. All right, moving right along. So before I talk about this next person, I also want to say, this path will cost you a few things. Just like, you know, Dr. D was asked to leave Cambridge. You may be in a position where you like your career, you like where you live and so forth. And that's fine, right? Where you're at right now, that's fine. However, what tends to happen is once you start learning more about yourself and you change your your frequency, you know, shift your reality, uh, you, you deprogram a lot of things that society has told you. Your interests start to change. What you eat, uh, that you're you're uh, you're you're eating. I don't like to say diet, but your eating lifestyle changes. Okay, you just won't want to eat certain things. You don't want to do certain things. Be okay with that. Be ready for that. You don't know how that's going to show up. Okay, so I'm sure Dr. D didn't think that. Or maybe, maybe he has some inclination that he was going to be asked to leave an establishment, which ended up working out for him. Right. That that's when a negative becomes a positive, something bad happens and then look how it worked out. So even if you feel like you want to say to him, my life is falling apart here. Credit score, score dropped. Uh, bills are due. My hours got cut. Um, I have questions about my spouse, uh, this person I'm dating. Uh, I got a, a slight, slight fat tire. While, yes, these are all unfortunate things. These are all things calling for your attention. So I'm, I am not going to spiritual gaslight and say, everything happens for a reason. Some things happen and it's unfortunate and there is no reason with someone being a jerk. OK, uh, you know, something crazy. Right. Here, th- these are things calling for your attention. Because a job can be stressful from time to time. But is it now over and beyond? Is it too much? Has the person you've been dating showed you actual interest, Like real actual interest? What's the conversation like? Are things getting planned, you know, dates and stuff like that? Is the effort being made in the beginning, right? Do you feel that support from your spouse, from your friends? Do you need to adjust certain things with your kids? Is it time for a new car? You've been delaying it for a while. Or maybe the car is just being a physical, another physical representation of what's going on in your life maybe you're you're doing okay in three areas, but this one area that you really need to pay attention to, is a little off. Okay? Because I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. For example, in, in dreams, your home represents you. I don't care if it's a condo. I don't care if, it, if you're envisioning you or dreaming of you living on a boat in a tent, whatever. It represents you. So if you said to me, if you came to me for a dream coaching interpretation session and said, yeah, Tia, I keep having this dream that my basement's flooded. And, and this actually happened with a, a client back in the day. And I explained to them, it's a combination of their lower chakras, uh, their heart chakra, their emotions, someone, or maybe they're not respecting their boundaries and so forth. And it starts to make sense. Right. So just pay attention to how certain things show up in a physical in your life and, and what it symbolizes because in a dream, your mode of transportation is the rate at which you're going in life. So if you're riding a bike, you know, you, a little bit generally, If you're in a car, you're going a little bit faster. If the car breaks down, there's something you need to attend to. All right. Next person, <clears throat> Marie Laveau. Among the most famous magical practitioners in the world, priestess, spirit medium, healer, diviner, and professional spellcaster, Marie Laveau, organized and formalized modern New Orleans voodoo and fearlessly became the public face of what had largely been a secret outlaw tradition. Proclaiming herself the Pope of voodoo, She was a tremendously public figure in the 19th century New Orleans, refusing to linger in the shadows. I know that's right. (laughs) Yes, we are not playing small. I love it. Marie attended mass daily in a Roman Catholic church and tended the sick during yellow fever epidemics. Notorious in her own lifetime, Marie was credited with many magical feats, including saving clients from disasters. Her specialty was legal work. Through her efforts, clients and members of their families were released from prison and rescued from dire straits. Marie's personal life remains mysterious. Her birth year is generally considered to be 1801, but it may have been earlier of African, European, and Native American ancestry. She was born into a Louisiana family, regularly well-versed in hoodoo and voodoo. She was a free person of color, a legal classification unique to French colonies as French law distinguished between enslaved and free people of African ancestry. She was a political and conscious person who secretly helped redeem slaves, and worked with the Underground Railroad to speed the endangered into safer territory. Marie worked as a hairdresser and studied with occult practitioner, Dr. John, who served as her mentor and worked closely with her. By about 1850, she was recognized as the leader of the New Orleans voodoo community. Marie presided over annual St. John's Eve ritual at Lake, and I am not going to butcher that word, Pontchar train, train. Apologies if I mispronounced it. Where she danced with her snake, the Grand Zombini, and, and has her not as in the Living Dead. Okay, she became a famous celebrity by 1870s. By the 1870s, thousands of spectators, white as well as black, flocked to see Marie's rituals on St. John's Eve. According to a famous legend, when Marie was elderly, she entered the lake, submerged, only to reemerge, appearing decades younger, and the matter of a snake rejuvenated after shedding its skin. Some interpret this as proof of her magical powers. Others claim that this was how she secretly and seamlessly retired, passing her clientele to to her lookalike daughter, who then assumed her mother's identity. In other words, one woman entered the water, water, but another emerged. Both women were named Marie and used the same last name. Although some believe Marie achieved immortality and roams the French Quarter still, others think she died on June 15, 1881, and that her ghost haunting the Quarter, and, and it has her ghost haunting the Quarter. In her death, Marie has achieved the status of a spirit or saint. Her grave in New Orleans' oldest cemetery, St. Louis Cemetery No. 1, is visited by thousands annually who come to pay tribute or beg for favors, which she reputedly delivers. In recent years, Laveau has also taken her place among the Iwa, or or Iwa, is I-W-A, I believe it's Iwa, if it's pronounced with an E, the pantheon of ancestral spirits of voodoo and voodoo, I hope I pronounced that right. Devotees considered her to be one of the Izili family of beautiful, powerful female spirits, many of whom are closely associated with water and snakes. Marie Laveau's celebrity status continues to extend today. Several songs and various music genres play tribute to her, including Marie Laveau, the title of 1974 song by country singer Bobby Bear, the lyrics by Pobit, Shell Silverstein describes Laveau as a lovely witch. That song has little to do with the historic Marie. The woman it describes may be a swampy witch, but it also hit number one on the US country charts, and its popularity furthered Marie's reputation. A more recent song, Dr. John's Marie Laveau Vue Queen, which calls her Conjure Lady, more accurately recalls her history. Marie is also the subject of novels and biographies. Dolls are crafted in her image for spiritual use and as tourists uh, buys them for souvenirs. And also what's interesting is that the St. John's uh, event, it says here that it, it coincides with the Midsummer's Eve. So very crafty there. What I like about this is the sense of mystery, right? as it states in the story, we don't really know about, you know, her background per se. Right. And it just, the the things that are associated with her, the spellcaster, the healer, just being multifaceted, being famous, wielding that thing. Okay. We are going to be famous in our own right, whether it's locally within a several state radius, nationally, internationally, Okay, or even if it's one of those things like your cousin who has the amazing barbecue sauce, you know, your family member who has this world famous cake that they make, you know, even though it's not world famous, it's just amongst the family. But that's what she calls it. Step into that. When someone wants to acknowledge for something that you did great, step into that. Thank them. You can give them a little background story if you want, but start owning that and start accepting the good things that come with that, that receptivity, okay? And also understand you you can help whenever you can, however you can. So many times when I work with people, especially when they're just starting out, and, and I get it because when I just started out and people who were working with me, or, we just, or who were just interested in what I was doing was twice my age, I was thinking, what can I offer? <laughs> okay, so just know that you have such a strong place in the world and be celebrated wherever you're celebrating, okay? People will flock to you, just like people go down to New Orleans and they want to know about her. Like, I want to do that one day, Okay. People will flock to you because when you think about it, there's a small town in Seattle, Washington, United States, that there are some people who won't know who Marie Laveau is, right? But that doesn't mean she was any less famous. So as my pop-pop would say, get in where you fit in. (laughs) All right, moving on. We have just a few more to go. I hope you're finding these stories interesting and, you know, just also noticing the impact they've had on on society and continue to have on uh, society and movies and uh, educational texts and so forth. All right. Mary Ellen Pleasant. The early life of Mary Ellen Pleasant is steeped in mystery. She may have been born a slave on an Augusta, Georgia plantation. Her other sources suggest that she was born in Philadelphia. Her birthday was August 19th and approximately 1814. But the precise year remains unknown. She claimed to be the daughter of an enslaved voodoo priestess born in Haiti and the younger son of a governor of Virginia or excuse me, the governor of Virginia. By the 1820s, Mary Ellen was living with and working for a Quaker family in Nantucket, Massachusetts who introduced her to abolitionism, oh my gosh, these brackets, to becoming an abolitionist, How are, there you go. <laughs> Later, she married James Smith, both Smith and Pleasant were fair-skinned people of mixed race who were able to pass for white. They took advantage of this in order to become actively involved in the Underground Railroad, rescuing and enslaving, uh, rescuing, oh gosh, rescuing the enslaved and bringing them to freedom and safety. In this capacity, Mary Ellen worked closely with Marie LeBeau, with whom she also studied voodoo. How about that? You want to be in good company, Right. Mary Ellen's husband left her for a fortune when he died. I can't left her for, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time reading right now. Mary Ellen's husband left her a fortune when he died. She helped finance her friend John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Her work rescuing slaves earned her the enemy, enemy I don't know why, of slavers who put a price on her head. She escaped to San Francisco in 1852, while en route, she met Thomas Bell, the director of the Bank of California, with whom she would have a 30-year relationship. Wow, That's, that's going pretty hard. All right, in San Francisco, Mary Ellen emerged as a entrepreneur someone who definitely uh donated for her volunteering uh services or donated money towards volunteering and so forth organizations and she ran restaurants and a boarding house and allegedly a bordello although this may be an attempt at defamation she evoked powerful reaction from people as she still does people consider mary ellen uh a hero or a wicked scandalous woman her reputation as a voodoo is accompanied her to california and while some perceive her as a guardian angel others were gen- genuinely terrified of her the headline of an article about her in july 9 1899 sunday san francisco chronicle proclaimed her the queen of the voodoo's a writer described her as the witch woman of the west mary ellen peasant is also known as the mother of civil rights in California. Long before Rosa Parks refused to give her seat to a white man on a Montgomery, Alabama bus, Mary Ellen sued at a San Francisco street park company for denying service to African Americans, and she won. After her death on uh, January 4th, 1904, it did not halt the controversy uh, surrounding her nor apparently has she left San Francisco. Some perceive that having died, she has evolved into a powerful spirit capable of granting wishes. Others consider her a creepy ghost. Mary Ellen is now a fixture of San Francisco paranormal, paranormal tours. She allegedly haunts the corners of Bush and Octavia streets where her mansion dubbed the house of mystery by the tabloid press once stood. Uh, Crows, Mary Ellen's messenger birds are said to signal her presence. Legend says that if you make a polite request at this corner and if she's in a good mood, she'll grant your wish. How cool is that? So we see here a woman who is taking chances. Okay, right. She's taking chances to live the life she's called to live. She's fighting for what's right, like I, I said many times before being a witch, being on this path, and has some controversies to it. Right? Some people just don't like it, and they take it a step further to, and I, and I don't want you to practice it. Okay, so you know, just, just keep in mind that you may be asked to re- relocate, If something within you is like, you know what, it's time to move. Something within you may go, ah, it's time to, I need to stand up, fight for this. There's something going on and I need to do something about it. And I'm going to use my resources and privileges to help. All righty. So now we're going to get into a little uh, questionable activities here. The Countess Izzerbet Bathory, popularly known as the Blood Countess, Countess Bathory is rumored to have killed as many as 600 young women, now often described as the most prolific female serial killer in history. Back in the old country, she was considered a witch. And her name is pronounced Erzabit. Oh, okay. Erzabit. And it is the Hungarian variant of Elizabeth. And Bathory was her maiden name, if I'm actually pronouncing that right. Born in August 7th, uh, Bathory came from a very elegant, noble, wealthy Hungarian family whose branches extended to Transylvania and Poland. She was the niece of the Hungarian-born Stephen Bathory. Turning the page here. Prince of Transylvania and King of Poland a well-educated woman who was fluent in Latin, Greek, and German, as well as her native Hungarian. In 1517, she was married to Florence Nadatsky. Hopefully, I know I butchered that. A celebrated Hungarian military hero. I apologize for butchering these names. I am so sorry. As a wedding gift, she received a castle, one of which his holdings now is in modern Slovakia oh, that's pretty cool. Her husband spent much of his time away at war and while he was away, she was left in charge, providing for their needs and so forth. On several instances, she is known to have intervened on behalf of the destitute women. Among her servants was a local witch and her, or, or her servants allegedly lured the women to work at the castle and then proceeded to enslave them and kill them in order to use their blood and magic potions to preserve Elizabeth's youthful appearance. The rumor that she bathed in blood does not appear in the trial transcripts. The Countess lived during a tempestuous transformational time in Hungarian history. Hungary, along with the rest of Central and Eastern Europe was engaged in a lengthy protracted battle with the Ottoman Empire. And in addition to fighting over territory and sovereignty, this battle was perceived on both sides as a spiritual war between Christian Europe and the Muslim Ottoman Empire. Elizabeth's husband earned his reputation battling the Ottomans and was thus considered a Christian hero. Okay, I'm just going to just skip down here. All right, so on December 30th, 1619, investigators arrived without warning At the castle, allegedly several young female prisoners were discovered there, including one who was dying and one who was already dead. It is unclear how many other bodies were found, but apparently there were many. And the countess was arrested with her four servants. Okay, and it also states here that she lost her husband. um, Let's see here. And, And he was in heavy financial debt. All right, so the king... Uh, to charged her with witchcraft as well as murder. Evidence that the countess was involved in spell casting was found in the castle. If convicted of witchcraft, all of her substantial uh, substantial property would revert back to the crown, which we know you know she's in debt. You know the king, rather than her natural heirs. However, the powerful and well-connected uh, Bathory family intervened negotiating with the king, and all charges against the countess were dropped. She never stood formal trial, although two hearings were held. Her children retained her property, and the king was absolved of all the debts he owed to her. How crazy is that? Okay. And it continues on, but, you know, we we, we get the gist of it. So, You know, it's unfortunate sometimes. No. Not only does bad things happen, but sometimes the wrong people win. And some of the best things we can do is to pay attention to certain red flags or intuition and so forth. And this also goes to show, too, that you never know what's really going on. Okay, you can look at someone and think, oh, they're just living, they're living a life, they're in the castle. And it, it just puts a lot of things in perspective. So w- when I read that years ago, and I also saw a documentary about it, um, you, you just never know. It's it's really crazy. It's it's just it's interesting. it's, it's truly interesting what also people would do for beauty for you. And sometimes it's because of the programming you know, stay youthful, stay beautiful, all right, so next we have just, uh, what was it, two more, all right, Anne Boleyn, born in approximately 1507, Anne Boleyn was briefly Queen of England, King Henry VIII was unhappily married to his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, who had failed to bear him a male heir, I think we all pretty much heard that story, Uh, He sought to marry Anne, whom he was convinced would bear his son. He petitioned to the Vatican, and yet he granted him, yeah. All right, so they're married. (laughs) I remember this story from school. All right, many critics cited uh, Henry's actions, and there were many suggesting that he was under Anne's spell, that she had bewitched him in order to become a queen. A rumor spread that she had a six-finger on one hand considered a witch's mark, which she kept hidden by wearing extra long sleeves. Her first child was not the anticipated son, but a daughter, the future Elizabeth I. When Anne's next child was stillborn, Henry described it as God's punishment for him cursoring with the witch, and was arrested on charges of witchcraft and treason, and uh, based on accusations of infidelity." (laughs) She was beheaded on May 17, 1536. According to legend, Anne Boleyn hunts the old parish church in form of a hare. So here's the thing. When people can't get certain things from you, when people don't like your success, they start to lie. I mean, Cardi B has a song, you know, she has that lyric when, 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 you know... When, when, when they try to take shots at the throne and that doesn't work, what do they do? They just start to lie, right? So again, this is about being prepared. It's unfortunate stories at times and it's, it's, it's learning, learning to tell. All right, Jonah Ark, my favorite saint. Born in approximately 1412, Jonah Ark, also known as the Maid of Lorraine, was a young, illiterate pe- a peasant girl when she emerged from the French countryside to lead French troops to victory against the English and place Charles VI, excuse me, seventh, whom she believed was the rightful king of France on the throne. She claimed divine guidance and announced that she was on a, a mission from God. Joan was victorious, but on May 23rd, 1430, she was captured by the Burgundian force who sold her to the English. The bishop, bishop who presided over her and over her trial determined to prove that she was a witch. If it could be proved that Charles VII had gained the crown of France via, of course, a witch uh, and witchcraft, then the English could challenge his divine right to rule. Charles did not come to Joan's rescue, surprise, even though she was largely responsible for his winning the throne. It is believed that he wished to distance himself from her because he did not wish to be associated with someone many considered to be a witch. At her formal trial, Joan faced 70 charges, among them being a witch, a sorceress, a false prophecies, a diviner, a conjurer, and an invoker of evil spirits, as well as other charges of heresy. She was accused of being given to the arts of magic, Joan represented herself in court against 37 judges holding her own, and mind you, she was what, like 14, 16 during this time, holding her own with uh, this powerful group of educated men. Most charges could not be substantiated and were dropped. She was finally convicted and condemned to death on only one charge, the wearing of men's clothing. Joan of Arc uh, aged to approximately 19 and was burned alive at the stake on May 30th, 1431. So yeah, when she first started getting divisions and stuff like that, she was around 14, 15. Yeah, so she was killed at a very young age. Um, And so, you know, just understanding that people also have no problem using you and sometimes it's a very good facade. And, you know, this shouldn't stop you from being a a kind person. And we see, unfortunately, so many times where people just, they want to help, they want to do good, and they do it. And sometimes people just are cruel. And some people just don't want to see other people in power. So this is a story to look at and just remember to... Make sure you can navigate this life as best as possible, okay? People are not always for you, okay? All right, the last one here, Tituba. Although she was the third person accused of being a witch in Salem, Tituba, an enslaved woman, was the first to confess, perhaps because Reverend Samuel Parris, the slave owner in whose house she labored, beat her until he obtained her confession. Tituba was from Barbados, All trial documents refer to her as an Indian. Historians believe that she was most likely of Arawak or Carib Indian descent. Her husband was named John Indian. Many assumed Tituba to be of African descent, possibly because widespread assumption about who was enslaved in the Americas. That Native Americans were also enslaved is comparatively unknown. However, very little is known about Tituba. Author Maurice Kande, conjectures in her 1992 novel, I, Tituba, Black Witch of Selum, that Tituba was conceived on a slave ship when her African mother was raised en route to Barbados. What is known is that Tituba entered the Paris household as a teenager and accompanied them to the Massachusetts colony in 1680, first settling in Boston. Okay. Before moving to Selim Village, the parish home of Reverend Parrish was the um, epic center of the Selim witch crisis, the point where the witch hunts were considered to have begun. In addition to Tituba and her husband, John, the Parish household consisted of Reverend Parrish, his infirm wife, his eight-year-old daughter, Betty, and 11-year-old girl named Abigail, who is usually described as the reverend's niece although some speculated that she was actually an unrelated orphan in the family's care. Salem was a dour conservative community, no fun, no leisure time was permitted, especially not for girls. Surprise, surprise. But during the winter, Tituba entertained the two young girls and their friends with stories while seated in the kitchen, the only warm spot in the house. It is also unknown what story she told. During the winter of 1619 to 1692, Betty began to suffer fits and convulsions, which physicians were unable to cure. Rumors spread that she was bewitched. A neighbor, Mary Sibley, recommended a baking of a witch cake, an English folk magic practice used to determine whether someone was a victim of witchcraft. The cake, made of rye and the victim's urine, was baked and then fed to a dog. Sibley proposed that Tituba bake that cake, which she did. Her participa- participation in this ritual would later be used as evidence against her. Eventually, Betty and Abigail accused Tichuba of bewitching them because she confessed Tituba was not executed, but she was held in jail. Among the first arrested as a witch in Salem Village. She was among the last to be freed. At the conclusion of the trials, Reverend Parrish refused to pay the jailer's fee that was required so that Tituba, his slave, could be let go. As a result, she spent an additional 13 months in prison until now a known person redeemed her by paying the seven pound fee. Seven pounds. Wow. What happened to her after was re- after she was released from prison is unknown. Tituba is featured prominently in virtually every fictional depiction of Selma Witch Trials, including uh, the play, The Crucible, which I, I saw, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, and the 1996 version of the film, The Crucible, yep. Yeah. And uh, TVs and movies, The of Trials. So great, great stories, lessons to learn, just understanding history, understanding why some people choose to be private with their practice, why we have the witch's wound until we heal, that. Okay. So um, I'm going to post the title of this book in the description. So you can read more uh, about other people and get to know more about the people who I discussed and, you know, just take this on stride as part of the educational process. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Oh, almost forgot. Sending you lots of love, blessings. I'm rooting for you. Be kind to yourself until next time thank you so much for tuning in magical wine let's keep in touch join the vip email list by going to tiamariejohnson.com and as always i'm sending you lots of love many blessings i'm rooting for you and remember to be kind to yourself until next time